Hi, Dan. Hey, listeners. Welcome to a very special, unusual, historic episode of The Goods, a film podcast. Brian, we made it to 50 episodes. I can't believe it. That's right. And for any mathematicians out there, we've done 50 movies that we've covered, movies and or TV series or TV specials. 50 entries in our series proper, plus two specials. One at the 25th episode mark, and one now. So 50 plus two, that's 52. This marks the completion of one year. We've orbited the sun. We've talked every single week. It's been fun. I've enjoyed it. And now we're back where we started. Indeed. Uh, As Brian mentioned, this is the... 50th Spectacular. We did a 25th episode Spectacular. So the purpose of this is it's really broken into three sections. One is looking back, looking ahead. Two is the goods by the numbers. And three is our awards show, which we can talk about if we've settled on a title for that or not when we get there. Uh, We haven't really talked about it much, but we'll see how we're feeling. So I'm ready to get started retrospecting and what's future what it's looking ahead uh, future not f- prospecting i guess yeah there you go prospecting something like that here we are at a year here we are at 50 episodes what what are some things that have been on your mind looking back on these last 25 episodes brian and you know in the podcast out of the podcast just in general what what are the last 25 episodes the last half year look like for you well I started a new job in April, which was right around our halfway mark, and I've been doing that for a while. It definitely has felt different than the first six months of the podcast. Uh, In our first six months, 2020 was a weird year, I think, for everybody out there, and I was in kind of a gloomy place in the middle part of 2020, and uh, some things brightened up when we started the show in uh, fall of that year. Now I would say that uh, some normalcy is returning. Uh, People may disagree with that, but definitely the last six months have felt more like a typical year to me. We're not out of the woods yet, but we had our uh, hot vax summer, as people say, (laughs) as as people want to believe. Uh, What about you, Dan? How have the last six months differed from our first six they have been less different, if you're going to look at two units of six months, less different for me than they have been for you. You know, I still work from home. I still mostly work on the computer, you know, nine to five, and then go hang out with the girls. Did a little more traveling uh, as things opened up a bit, which was a little bit refreshing. Um, one highlight that I think we'll talk about is uh, I got to recently go on a trip with you. Yes, let's talk about that. So we have just come back. uh, For Dan, it's been about a week ago. I like just got back yesterday from a trip to Florida, which started out with us paying a visit to Orlando, where we visited the Creative Engineering Warehouse, birthplace of the Rockefeller explosion. Uh, We did a couple other things too, Dan. Uh, Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so 
I was lucky, shout out to my wife, uh, able to leave behind two toddlers with just my wife for a couple nights. And I think we, we more or less made the most of our, our time. We were pretty filled with activities down in Orlando. So we stayed in Orlando, at least for those two days. And we went to Gatorland, which I thought was just going to be like a little roadside attraction, but was a full-on gator-themed theme park. We got to ride an alligator. It was pretty great. We got to toss chunks of meat to alligators right in front of us on a little sandbar and then sit down in the sand for a goofy picture and somehow not get eaten because I guess they keep them fat and happy. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty great. Um, lots of lots of interesting animals there. So if you're ever in Orlando, I recommend Gatorland. I, I think it's a good use of uh, 40 bucks and most of a day. Uh, we also, I would say the main attraction and probably what's most relevant to our listeners is we went to the, I guess it's the warehouse office. I've been telling people it's a factory. It's not really a factory, but the warehouse of the Rockefeller Explosion founding company, Creative Engineering, is that what it's called? Yes. Well, the significance of this, obviously we did an episode that covered the Rockefeller Explosion documentary. Uh, it was my birthday episode this year where we brought my brother on as a guest. And in this retrospective, we're mostly focused on things that happened recently. Uh, we're going to keep our awards categories to the last 25 episodes. But uh, just for anybody who did not listen to our 25th special, uh, Rockafire, the episode, went over well. And I think when we look at our stats, we'll see that it has continued to be a fan favorite. Definitely. You know, with all the Five Nights at Freddy and the whatever it's called. Willie's Wonderland. Yeah, exactly. The Nick Cage horror movie with them. I think there's some interest in animatronics and... Aaron Fector, he's the subject of the documentary we watched back in January. He also was the one who gave us this tour. And man, is he a, a big personality. Yeah, he's a character. Um, yeah, hard to get him to stay on track, but uh, not hard to get him to talk to the camera. And I think it was really cool that he has a maintained a full Rockefeller explosion setup show i guess I, I don't know what you call it but you can go there and it's like being in one of the old pizza places and though he says he has every song that they've ever made that he can play for you and so we did the sal's birthday if you go listen to the rock of fire episode that's the one that uh, brian and his brother sing together and then uh some the one about baseball which is in the documentary too yep so he queued up a few of our favorite show tapes for us and the robots more or less functioned as they were intended to. And uh, when, you know, occasionally a Mac valve got stuck, he was able to dive underneath the stage and fix it. And then we were able to climb up onto the stages with all the robots and get up close and chummy with them for pictures and video. And Count Gauntly was able to roll his camera on everything. Because part of the trip was I wanted to capture it for my 100th episode of my TV show. So right now I've definitely got anniversaries and finales and significant numbers on my mind. 
Uh, the theme of the episode, as I mentioned previously, is circus. It's part of the reason why I chose a circus theme month as a lead-up. And so these were all the things that were in my thoughts as I arranged this trip, and I was very grateful that Dan was able to join me. Yeah, it was really cool. I like the idea of field trips for the podcast. Let's let's go do something interesting and talk about it. Yeah, we're going to spitball some future ideas here, and I agree with that. That was on my bullet list, too. We got to plan some other trips. Maybe you pitch the next one. I'll think about it, yeah. And it, just, if you ever get the chance to do it, I would say, you know, maybe it wasn't a mind-blowing thing, but if you're if you're really into the rocket fire explosion, there was some real fascinating stuff. I was I wrote about it on my Letterboxd. Uh, I, we rewatched the documentary, and I wrote a review on Letterboxd of it. And it's a combination of just like stasis. Like when they stopped making things in 1983, like an engineer put down his notebook and that notebook is still on a table somewhere. It's like things haven't changed on the one hand, but then on the other hand, it's decay everywhere. You really see it just so symbolically and evocatively the plastic in these animatronics that kind of make up their shape is starting to melt and droop and deform. And it's like you're seeing time, youthfulness, just wasting away. And what really struck me was the documentary was made in 2008. We first saw it, my brother and I, in like 2012. The warehouse has not changed. <laughs> 13 years since the movie, and it's still frozen in time and yet being reclaimed by time. Every, like, no objects have moved. Just like Dan says, there's just a thicker layer of dust and more cobwebs. One cool thing is he took us down to the basement. And this is very spooky. If you're easily scared, don't go there at night. Because it seems like when the animatronic would pop out and stab you. Just really cool to see like the things that were in process, the things that were in storage, weird old prototypes of things. And I was able to snag, I like picked up a promo from 1984 or 1985. And I said, what's this? And he said, it's a promo and you can take it. So I took home a piece of rock of fire literature. I gave it to your brother. I, I, I don't know. just kind of cool that you could just walk in and see it as it was. And it felt special. I got to take a piece of it with me. I agree. It was a pretty good trip. And it yeah. actually continued on for me. I kept driving around the state of Florida all week, made a few other spooky stops for my show, and I saw some more gators. I took a jet boat through the Everglades. And pertinent to our podcast, I made it down to Key West, where I paid Robert the Doll a visit. Astute listeners will recall we discussed it on various podcast episodes on our feed and including the 25th episode spectacular. But we actually guest guested on another podcast buzzed on movies run by friends of the pod, Teddy and Matt. And it's just this truly horrible movie about a haunted doll. And we had a great time tearing that movie apart. And I'm Brian, I'm glad you got to go see the actual doll that inspired it. Yes, to date, that's the only movie that we've given ones to. 
Right. Although in this last batch of 25 episodes that we'll be reviewing, we did have some twos for the first time. Yeah, some not goods, yeah. That's right. Uh, one final word for the moment about buzzed on movies. Something they mention in one of their Saw movie reviews is, I think it's in Saw 2, there's a climactic scene where Jigsaw and Detective Matthews, I think it is, descend all of a sudden, like all the cops have got Jigsaw cornered in a warehouse, but then Jigsaw pulls a lever and one corner of the floor descends because it turns out it was all one big elevator. And so now Detective Matthews is his captive. And Matt and Teddy kind of discussed whether that was a real setup that would be plausible to have whether there could really be a huge freight elevator that was like one quarter of the floor of a warehouse but dan and i rode an elevator just like that into the bowels of creative engineering wouldn't you say oh yeah man this elevator it was like a a floor sinking down and you can hear the cranks turning and it felt unreal it felt like something again out of a movie or i don't know but it, it was pretty wild, yeah. So, uh, yes, they do exist. I guess so. So let's talk just briefly about how we're feeling about our podcast specifically for a bit. So do you think we found our groove? Do you think we're doing well right now? Do you think there are things we need to change, Brian? I think we're finding it. I have enjoyed our latest half dozen episodes, you know. I think... We're settling into a place where we're enthusiastic. At least that's that's what I'm shooting for. I think when we are passionate about what we're talking about and the energy is high, that's when the episodes are the best. You know, hard to say when we're the two inside observers we really want to hear from people on the outside, if you are listening, uh, and we'll tailor it to you because you'll be you know among the first to be giving feedback. We have heard from a couple, but... Our ears are open. Definitely. What about you, Dan? What have your thoughts been? One thing I mentioned in the 25th Spectacular is that I didn't like where we stood at the time with the recap as well as the good things and not so good things section afterwards. And I think we've made a lot of progress on that front. Uh, We tried a couple of different things. The thing that I think works pretty well for us is to integrate our analysis and our good things and not so good things into the recap itself so that we're not just given a Wikipedia plot summary. We're actually given our thoughts and then have the actual subsequent section really just be for kind of overall uh, high level positives and negatives. And I think we still have some room to maybe trim out the recap a little bit more. I think I'm probably even worse than you on that front. I think I overwrite my recap notes a little bit, but I agree. I think we're getting better at it. Yeah, I agree. I think if we cut down on repetition and redundancy, that's what we want. And also, if it sounds less like we're reading straight from a piece of paper, that is also helpful. And I'm just as guilty of that as anybody. As for some things that I think we can continue to do, I missed having guests. I realized... And we'll get to this. We only had one guest this set of 25. I think it's fun to get in some fresh voices. So I'm definitely going to pitch for us to get in some guests to join us. Maybe one thing I'd like to do is maybe have 
a really small independent film or maybe a student film as something we showcase just as a way to spotlight and celebrate one of the, the little guys trying to, to learn and trying to make it out there. And maybe if they're willing, join us on the podcast and talk a little bit about their, their movie. I think that would be a fun experiment. Yeah, we'll pay them in exposure. <laughs> but uh, I agree. Uh, one thing I have heard from fan of the pod, Sean, is he liked the episode on 72778 and Heavy Metal Parking Lot. And he requested, could we cover some more obscure media? And so I've got at least one pick in the pipeline that I guess you could call an independent film, um, but certainly obscure. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Any other plans for the future? Well, one thing I was looking back, it didn't occur to me at the time, like when we did the 25th, I guess we finished that half year. It, it turns out that the, the half year that was our first 25 episodes covered all of the interesting seasons and holidays. Whereas this six months, we did get in a little bit of summary stuff. But, and you know, I've mentioned I really like kind of end of school year, prom, road trip, end of childhood type stuff. We talked about Paper Towns, a couple others that are of that ilk. So I like that season. But I think it'll be fun to be back in the, the very holiday specific stuff. Looking forward to autumn. I, I just think by nature of the seasons, if, if we continue to keep our eye on that, I think we're going to have some really interesting picks and discussion. Definitely. Um, I think the next six months. we've only gotten stronger in our powers. We're fully operational <laughs> now, and we are ready for another Halloween and then Christmas season. Definitely. I, I've got, you know, like the dude in Time Enough at Last, the Twilight Zone episode where the guy just has stacks and stacks of books that he's going to read over the years ahead barring any twist endings. That is how I am feeling about Halloween episode picks. <laughs> I could just go for eight years. Just don't break your glasses. That's right. Yeah, and I, I think it'll also be interesting. We will have hit our annual cycle for the first time. So we'll be. it'll be our second Halloween, second Christmas. So I think there'll be some opportunities for us to iterate on what we had done in previous years. Or like, for example, not to spill the beans too much, I think we should do another bout of Christmas Carol picks. Um, some ones we didn't cover last year and, and some things like that I think could be fun. So I can do that. Yeah. What about you, Brian? Uh, how are you feeling about the pod in the next six months? I'm enjoying it. I look forward to it every week. It's been a source of consistency. I said that at 25 and I say it now because it really has been, it's been something to hold on to and keeping me going. So, so I, I ride the train as long as you do. And I was really glad that we were able to do the trip down to Florida. Uh, it feels monumental. Definitely. The first three months that we did the podcast were really good for me outside of that. So that, like September, October, November, I had a good three months. You know, my fingers are crossed that the next three months will be that good. I, I, I don't know for sure that they will be, but this has been a consistent source of positivity. I'm glad, yeah. For me as well. I mean, uh... I spent a lot of time prepping and editing, and I wouldn't do that if I didn't enjoy the camaraderie, if I didn't enjoy the ritual of it, if it wasn't something I you know, really look forward to. So thank you for making it a special space for me, Brian. And uh, oh, you're welcome. I'll be on the train for a long time to come as well. 
Dan is an editing champ. He he hoards it to himself, uh, but I respect him for doing the work every week. It, well, with if Gauntly wraps up, maybe that's something we could talk about whether uh, we can start splitting it up. I'm I'm feeling less clingy to the editing process than I was maybe half a year ago. I think I've gotten over my self-consciousness a little bit and am okay potentially handing over some of the editing responsibilities. Don't have to worry about editing myself out in post if I didn't like what I said. But we we can talk about that. Cool. Yeah, we can wrap. The last thing I want to say about the last six months and the next six months to come, I'm hoping we can continue to engage with listeners more and more. We just started a email us your review promo. Haven't gotten any bites on it yet, but I'm optimistic we will soon. And continue to get more listeners, hopefully get more feedback from people to figure out what people like to listen to. So reach out to us. Yeah. The Goods Film Podcast at gmail.com. What are your thoughts? What are you thinking? You listening? You liking? You disliking? What should we talk about? What should we do different in our episodes? Do more of or less of? That to me is the most important thing. Rather than necessarily like telling us what you thought of a previous movie, you're welcome to do that for sure. But like, if you want to hear about something, like you can steer us. We are a vessel. Point us to something that you like. If we did something you hated, let us know that. We are attuned to your tastes. <laughs> Definitely. On that note, I'm done retrospecting, but Brian, any other thoughts or reflections? No, just know that the podcast is going to keep cranking along. Those holidays are coming. I've got some choice picks lined up for September and October. I'm looking forward to getting through it. Oh, and the one that I have not name dropped yet, we recorded our Gravity Falls episode down in Florida. Yes. So that was number 50 uh, in terms of the movies that we've talked about. And I thought that was a lot of fun. Definitely. I haven't released that as of the recording of this, but I will hopefully within a couple of days of the recording of this. Yeah, and probably before this one drops, yeah. And I might, <laughs> we'll see how I'm doing on the editing and enthusiasm front. I'm strongly considering doing a Greatest Hits episode where we splice together some various things from various episodes as like a, you know, if you're new to the pod and just want to see what we're about. You can give us a sample on that Greatest Hits episode. Well, so I'm all for a sizzle reel. What I'll say is that after doing 100 episodes of Gauntly, doing best of reels when you have that much content, it's very hard. You got a huge amount of work ahead of you, Dan, if you do want to sift through every episode. I don't doubt it in the slightest. That's why I'm <laughs> hedging right here about whether I actually get it done. Fair. Well, I will commend you if you attempt it. All right. Now, shall we proceed on to maybe our statistics section from our resident mathematician? Yes. I majored in math when I went to college. And indeed, I love crunching the numbers. I got the goods by the numbers. Episodes 26 to 50. You ready to hear these numbers, Brian? I'm ready to hear some numbers. All right. So across episodes 26 to 50... We discussed, by my count, 32 total things. And by things, I mean movies, of course. By my count, 27 of those 32 things were feature-length films. Four of them were either sketches or shorts that we viewed on YouTube as part of our April Fool's Day episode where we briefly became a 
YouTube Shorts review podcast, and one TV show, and that is, of course, Gravity Falls, the one that we just recorded for episode 50. By the way, for uh, all 50 episodes so far, we are up to 69 total things reviewed. I want to bump that to 70, Brian. So one thing that we've been doing, one thing we've been doing is whenever we both watch it for the podcast, regardless of whether it was the focus, we give it a official review. So it enters our, our canon and enters our library. And the one thing that I could think of where we both watched it and we talked about it, but we didn't give it a review was Beach Blanket Bingo as part of the Beach Party episode. Okay, so you don't want to leave it at 69? <laughs> no, you gave Beach Party a goodness rating of good, 5 out of 8. <laughs> Would you be willing to quickly throw a is it good on Beach Blanket Bingo. Honestly, it was pretty similar. Uh, I kind of don't want to just give it a 5. It would be like a 5.5, a little bit better than the first one, but I I think I'm still at a high 5. That's me too. We both gave Beach Party a a good, a 5 out of 8. I'm going to give Beach Blanket Bingo a 5 out of 8 as well. So I suppose that would bring us up to 70. Oh, wait, I miscounted. Oh, good news, Brian. Beach Blanket Bingo brought us up to 69. Hey, nice. Nice. Yeah, really shaking things up here. We we have another we have another five on the chart. <laughs> but on the note of I mentioned our canon, one thing I like about our podcast is both with the podcast and the subsequent movie viewing that I do kind of outside of the podcast, I really feel like I'm building my own personal canon of movies in a way that I never have when I've watched movies before. It's like these are the movies I know and I've watched and I can talk about and I'm glad to have <laughs> You called it, I don't know if The Last Spectacular is counted in this uh, batch of 25 or not. I think it's kind of the separator of the two sets of 25 episodes. But one of the things you said there is maybe the hardest I've ever laughed in The Goods, where you talked about how looking at our list of movies, it's like the Vietnam Memorial, but positive. So I think about that a lot whenever I look at the list, like seeing these things outlined. It's my, my collection of Soldiers Fallen, movies seen. <laughs> there you go. Very significant in, in much the same way. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that you say it's your personal canon because just for reference, Dan has actually assigned one of our eight-point ratings to all the movies I think you've watched since the show began. Is that correct? <clears throat> yes. I.e. not just ones we've covered on the podcast, but everything he's watched. Yeah, Letterboxd is down, so I don't have that number right now. Uh, but More than 69. For sure. It's in the realm of 200 since we started the podcast. Um, I'm trying to hit 250 by the end of 2021. It's my goal to watch 250 movies this year. So, And I am on pace for it. But uh, moving on with the numbers. Oldest movies and newest movies we've watched. So we actually got a little bit older this time around. The third oldest movie we watched... 1953, The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. The second oldest movie was It Happened One Night from 1934, Best Picture winner. And the oldest movie we watched was part of Circus Month called The Circus by Charlie Chaplin from 1928, our first and only silent movie so far covered on the goods. But it was fun to dig a little deeper in film history the past six months, I think. That's right. It was our oldest film Definitely. For newest movies, uh, by my count, we had 
two movies from 2017, and that was Greatest Showman and the Lasagna Cat sketch 727-1978. That was also from 2017, and that was on our April Fool's episode. It was the one that you brought, Brian. It was the Garfield pipe strip analysis. Right. Those were tied for the second newest. And then we had one movie from 2020 we discussed. That was the best documentary. Did it win it or was it just nominated? It won. (laughs) Uh, My Octopus Teacher from 2020. So pretty big time span. Almost 100 years between our earliest and most recent. Maybe we'll actually get to 100 years by... Man, that would mean we'd have to do something 1921 or earlier. And most of the 1921 and earlier stuff is pretty dire. They hadn't quite figured out the language of cinema yet. So I'm not <laughs> sure we'll hit that 100-year gap. <laughs> I'll bet we could do it. Or we just wait till 2022. Yeah, maybe. And that might make it a little easier. So something I noticed about the last 25 episodes is I feel like we got a little bolder in our ratings extremes. <laughs> uh, we didn't hesitate as much to throw an 8 out of eight masterpiece rating on movies. Uh, and we also dug a little deeper too. We, we would go down into twos when we felt it was warranted. Still, still no ones, but we had greater crests and troughs. Well, that's a good transition to my next statistical analysis here, which is our ratings. What are the movies that we rated the highest? What are the movies that we rated the lowest? Is this something we want to save for our rankings or what do you think? I'll just throw it out there. So you might want to skip ahead a couple minutes if you don't want to be spoiled. Um, Here are some of our highest and lowest rated movies. If you enjoy the suspense of what we rate movies as you listen or want some suspense about what our favorites and least favorites were later in this episode, skip ahead a couple minutes. But our highest rated movies, and again, movies includes any selection. We had one entry into what I call the 16 Club which is where we both give it an 8 out of 8 on our 8-point goodness scale, ranging from a 1 out of 8, which is very not good, up to an 8 out of 8, which is a tour day good. And that was Gravity Falls, the most recent one we watched, we both gave our masterpiece rating to. And that joins one movie from the previous set of 20, which joined the 16 Club, and that was Groundhog Day. So now two members of the 16 Club. I think it's a good representation of the... The peaks of what we've watched so far. And then we had quite a few entries into the 15 Club. And this is where one of us gave it an 8 out of 8 masterpiece rating. And one of us was just a notch below that at exceptionally good. A 7 out of 8 on our is a good scale. And that is Titanic, The Iron Giant, Boogie Nights. And hold that thought, there might be an asterisk entrant. And what, what I mean by asterisk is... We are giving ourselves the space to adjust one movie's rating up and one movie's rating down during this spectacular, which we will do in just a bit. That's right. I hope you're all on the edge of your seats. (laughs) And we only had one 15 club selection in our first 25, and that was Parasite. And only after Brian used the 25th episode spectacular to bump it from uh, seven out of eight, exceptionally good up to the masterpiece rating of eight out of eight whereas I gave it a 7 out of 8 exceptionally good. So there you go. And what got our lowest rating? Two movies tied for our lowest rating. Lower than any movie that we rated the first 25. And curiously, they were back-to-back episodes. They were back-to-back stinkers. 
both of them, one of us gave it a three out of eight, a not not good, and one of us gave it a two out of eight, a not good. And that is Cirque de Freak, the vampire's assistant, which I gave a three and you gave a two. And the Care Bears movie, which I gave a two and you gave a three. The old flip-flop. <laughs> All right, if you skipped ahead, now is a good time to start listening again. No more major spoilers, I don't think. But the biggest disparity between our ratings was My Octopus Teacher. Again, the 2020 Best Documentary Feature winner. Brian gave that a very good rating, a 6 out of 8. And I gave it a not not good rating, a 3 out of 8, which constituted a difference of 3 rating points. Um, On an 8-point scale, that's pretty significant. We don't disagree by that much very often. Yeah, it doesn't come up a lot. There's only a few with a difference like that. I think maybe just one. And I'm thinking of in our first half episodes early on, we uh, yeah had a pretty big gulf on Everybody Wants Some. Yeah, the Linklater movie, which I quite liked and you were less fond of. So so we did not match quite as often this time around, although still quite frequently. Out of 32 total things, we matched a quarter of the time. Eight times we gave the exact same rating to a movie we watched, but... Last time it was about half of them. It was about 20 or something. So, you know, it's good to see at least a little bit of divergence in our opinion. Mm-hmm. A footnote here. How does what we watch and what we rated it match up with the general acclaim for the films? So here are the most acclaimed and least acclaimed things that we've watched. And I think this is pretty interesting. Yeah. As with last time, the 25th Spectacular, I'm using four sources. I'm using IMDb. Letterboxed, Rotten Tomatoes, and the award shows. So what is the most acclaimed thing that we've watched? According to IMDb, it depends on whether you count TV stuff as well as Lasagna Cat. Is that a TV show? Do you call it episodes? I don't know. And why does it matter what you call Lasagna Cat? <laughs> because <laughs> 727, 1978, the pipe strip analysis is a 9.6... 9.6 can you believe it out of 10 i've never seen anything that high on it's, mtb it's like citizen kane of youtube videos <laughs> oh that's a bigger number than i even knew existed 9.6 i feel vindicated by that <laughs> someone like me runs the imdb boards my theory on why it's so high is either you're gonna like not finish that youtube thing or you're gonna finish it and think it's brilliant or maybe you finish it and you don't care and you move on with your life but if you finish it and think it's brilliant you're gonna be like where can i tell people this is brilliant and you find it on imdb and give it a 10 out of 10 so that the people like you that's right people who care less aren't gonna review it on imdb (laughs) tv shows in general also get very inflated scores on imdb i think there's some selection bias there as well Gravity Falls is the second highest rated thing at an 8.9, which would put it at like the best movie of all time if you were to use movie scores as the correlation on that. But on the TV chart, it ranks number 45 out of all the TV shows. So that's still quite high up on the charts. Number 45 TV show of all time. Yeah, again, I feel pretty vindicated. But... When you get down to the movies themselves, which I think have the most votes and the most balanced votes on IMDb, 
we actually had a, a pack at the top, a lot of 8.1s, which is a high score, but not quite enough to crack the top 250. By my measurement, we did not have any films crack the IMDb top 250. Dead Poet Society, it happened one night. My octopus teacher, the circus, and the elephant man all got an 8.1 on IMDb. So, again, a, a crowd at the top. By the way, how the hell is my octopus teacher an 8.1 on IMDb, but the Iron Giant is an 8.0? Like, does anybody actually think that my octopus teacher is better than the Iron Giant? Lots of folks with midlife crises giving that one a boost, perhaps. <laughs> Maybe. So one thing I liked about reviewing the numbers this time around, last time when we were looking at the movies, Parasite was basically the number one on everything, and then... Robert 2015 was the worst on everything. Or it just wasn't there. Yeah. Otherwise, it was going to be Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure for at the bottom of everything. The High School Musical spinoff. But this time, each of the different rating services uh, highlighted different movies, which I think speaks to the fact that we watched a lot of movies with high regard, but none that are quite so much in the zeitgeist as Parasite currently is at least in the the cinephile movie fan what movies do you think are great headspace so letterboxd the highest rated movies are two movies that were not among the ones that were the imdb top rated movies and that is the iron giant and boogie nights both have a 4.2 out of 5 on the letterboxd app so Good to see some diversity in the movies that people are shouting out on different services. And good to see The Iron Giant and Boogie Nights, which I think are better than most of the movies that were at the top of the uh, IMDb chart. Yeah, it's telling. I mean, some of these services, you know, the quote-unquote professional critics and just people who dedicate a lot of time to thinking pretentiously about film get a little more weight on some of the services than they do on IMDb, for instance. Sure. Lastly, Rotten Tomatoes. So believe it or not, one movie we watched has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. That is the British Titanic film, A Night to Remember. Not to be confused with T-97, the James Cameron film. But that one has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. No negative reviews. Unfortunately, it doesn't have like the little gold-coated tomato symbol if you go there because there's not enough reviews on it for it to earn certified fresh. So if if you insist that your highest-rated movie be certified, It Happened One Night has a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is very high. And if you're willing to look at TV shows, which again, I think tend to get inflated scores on Rotten Tomatoes, Gravity Falls also had a 100%. So there you go. Yeah, I think we picked some good stuff in this last go around. Lastly, we picked two best picture winners, just like in our previous 25, we picked two best picture winners. The two we picked this time around were It Happened One Night and Titanic. So It Happened One Night is the, the screwball comedy with Clark Gable, whereas A Night to Remember is the British Titanic movie. I know... A lot of night movies going on here. Yeah, we've had several It Happened movies. 
<laughs> and a couple different one night movies. <laughs> Maybe we'll continue that trend. We'll see. As far as the least acclaimed movies, we again have some disagreement across the different services about what is the worst thing that we've watched in IMDb. The lowest rated movie is mighty Morphin power Rangers, the movie, which got a 5.1 out of 10. And I would say most movies get above a five. So even though that is like above the middle ranking, that is still not the highest IMDb score. Meanwhile, on Letterboxd, Cirque de Freak, the vampire's assistant got a 2.3 out of five, which is Pretty low for that site. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes, one that I haven't mentioned yet, Now You See Me 2 got a 33% on Rotten Tomatoes. Only one-third of critics gave it a positive review, which made me laugh because if you go to the Wikipedia page, go to the critical reception, it says, it received mixed to positive reviews from critics, which ended up being our lowest-rated Rotten Tomatoes movie so i'm not sure i agree with wikipedia on that one but i don't know yeah i was unpleasantly surprised by that one uh (laughs) although i thought in some ways it was stronger than the first chapter which we talked about in that episode i definitely thought it was better than the first one i mean we you can hear why but the main reason was we added lizzie kaplan and we decided to make it funnier yeah the comedy was much better and they used the chemistry of the ensemble better if the plot wasn't so scattershot, I would have rated it higher than the first movie. Right. Meanwhile, if there's a corollary to the Oscars, it's probably the Razzies. And I didn't dig too deep on this, but I looked at our lowest rated movies and checked their year for the Razzies and didn't see any nominations. So I do not think that we had any Razzie nominations, but I was not particularly thorough in that search. Well, I have some thoughts on the Razzies and my research has also not been comprehensive. So uh, I guess that's typical of internet opinions, but it seems like the Razzies exist to throw shade at like big movies, movies that get a wide release and are bad. So not necessarily the worst movies, just you know stuff like Catwoman, where it had a hundred million dollars and wasn't good. I don't know if it actually cost that much. It probably didn't cost that much, but you you get the idea. An expensive movie that ends up being a letdown. I think that's what's going to get Razzies thrown at it, rather than actually doing the work to track down the people making the really bad movies. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like. The people making the really bad movies, I don't know. It's like, is it worth giving Robert 2015 a Razzie? Uh, Like, I think everybody knows that if you get an Amazon Prime only released horror movie, that probably shouldn't be expecting too much. It's definitely, you're definitely right. It's definitely to make fun of the rich producers who, you know, throw their money at something and then it tanks. Although occasionally they have like weird indie movies that get like $50,000 at the box office or something like that and and pile the shit on those movies as well. As for me, I say yes, Robert 2015 needs more award season attention. <laughs> that wraps up my most acclaimed, least acclaimed. 
section of the By the Numbers, looking at what is the longest and shortest thing that we watched. It depends a little bit on how you count. If you count the TV show that we watched as one thing, then that is by far the longest. It's Gravity Falls, based on the episode lengths on IMDb, came to 940 minutes. And then, as mentioned in our episode, you can hear us talk a little bit about this on our 50th episode. Brian encouraged me to watch the episode of his public access TV show, Count Conley's Horrors from the Public Domain. What's the episode number of, of this one, Brian? 78. Yeah, it's called Gravity Calls, and I did indeed watch it prior to recording. If you include that, then we're up to 1,028 minutes of content that we that we watched for that episode, which is 17 hours and eight minutes for, for those of us who who think by the hour and not by the minute. Yeah, a decent chunk of your life. As we said in that episode, a thousand minutes well spent, in my opinion. But the longest film specifically is Titanic, which in my mind was like three hours flat, but it's actually three and a quarter hours Three hours and 14 minutes, according to IMDb. That's 194 minutes. Goddamn, what a long movie. Well, it's it's pretty close to three on the dot. There's like at least five minutes of credits because you got to have that Celine Dion song in there. Sure. Uh, but yeah, but it's a brisk three hours. And, and I would say also pretty well spent. <laughs> um, as for the shortest thing we watched, The Circus, if you're going to go by movies proper is the shortest thing we watched, the 1928 Charlie Chaplin film. That's 72 minutes. And I think we mentioned it there. I I love me a sub-90 movie. Give me a movie that's between 70 and 85 minutes, and I'll be more excited to watch it than just about any other movie. So I I was glad to have that low runtime. If you're including anything that we watched, then... One of the parking lots is certain. I know heavy metal parking lot is 17 minutes and I think Harry Potter parking lot was like nine minutes or 11 minutes or something like that. So go listen to our April fool's episode to find something short there. Moving on to the average of our ratings on the, is it good scale? So this is fairly spoiler free, but you got to listen to this kind of astonishing to me. So first of all, Brian and I are very similar in our overall rating approach. If you use our is a good scale from one to eight and use the numeric value there, average it out. Brian has averaged a 5.39, not including beach blanket bingo, I suppose. But that gives us a high good. Meanwhile, I'm very close. Brian was a 5.39. I'm at a 5.45, which is a high good. First of all, those are very close. In fact, if you look at the entire history of the goods, Brian and I have given a total of four points different in goodness points across all the things we've watched. 69 things. Four total goodness points different. That's pretty incredible how close we are. That means on average we're like basically the exact same rating. I don't know. I think that's pretty wild. But even more wild to me, our averages this time again were 5.39 and 5.45. The last 25 episodes, our averages were 5.38 and 5.43, 
we basically gave the exact same average ratings. Honestly, that's kind of, I don't know. I feel good about that. That's maybe not inspiring, but like we have been consistent in what is our axis of what is good and what is not good and what do we select and how do we evaluate that? Yes and no. I see some caveats here. So one that I mentioned during our first analysis after episode 25 is I think there's like a a filter, you know, what's the, what's the space filter that, you know, how come we never see any aliens? And one of the theories is that before a civilization is able to get advanced enough to travel across the stars, it is destroyed or destroys itself. And so it's filtered from ever coming to our knowledge. Uh, Well, we have a filter, I think, at work that's not quite that dramatic. And it's just the filter that says we tend to gravitate to movies that we think might be good. It's, It's the name of the podcast. And I think in more recent episodes, we've tried to distance ourselves from just going for movies we think have the potential to be good. Uh, which is the second point I want to make. That it just so happened we had some extreme ratings in these last 25. We had many more 8s than in our first 25 episode, and we had some 2s, which we have never had before. The fact that we had both extreme highs and extreme lows, just the consequence of that is that the average tends to stay right about the same. I think that's fair, for sure. So I liked your point that we tend to bring to the podcast either movies that we already think are good or we think have the potential to be good. Not too many movies we watch are in the range of not good, which is our our bottom two ratings. We actually have a pretty solid bell curve between three not not good and eight toward day good, our masterpiece rating. So... (laughs) I'm just going to read this to you. Between the two of us, we've given 13 not not good ratings, 13 three out of eights, and 12 Torday goods, eight out of eight masterpiece ratings. So 13 and 12 basically mirror each other. We've given 17 good ish ratings, so four out of eight, and 20 exceptionally good, seven out of eight. It's a little higher, but they still mirror each other pretty well. And then we've given 33 good 5 out of 8 ratings and 37 very good 6 out of 8 ratings. So we have a bell curve centered around good and very good and moving out from there. Fewer 3s than 4s, fewer 8s than 7s, fewer 7s than 6s, fewer 4s than 5s. So I, I found that pretty pleasing. Well, I'm not exactly a mathematician, but what that tells me is that we're using a pretty fair hand or at least keeping up that appearance. Maybe someday I'll make these numbers public and the the viewers can make their own analyses. But uh, I feel like we've been pretty consistent in our evaluation criteria. So last couple things here on the by the numbers. Um, Only one guest these 25 episodes That is my brother, Will, from Japan. We talked about Tokyo Drifter, and he was our our only guest. What's the name of the other movie? Branded to Kill? 
Yeah. So Brian didn't get around to Brandon to kill, but uh, Will and I talked about that one a little bit. But it was it was good to have uh, my brother from Japan on there talk about some Japanese cinema and maybe some more guests to come. Last thing, just you guys, the listeners, how many of you are there? Well, the number's grown a little bit. Uh, in our first 25 episodes, we had 557 listeners. We are now at... 1,371 listeners all time, which gives us 814 listeners in the last six months. So all of you out there, thank you for joining us here. Our, our most popular episode is the Rockafire Explosion episode at 72 listeners. And our most popular just of the 25 most recent episodes is our April Fool's episode 727 1978 and heavy metal parking lot at 48 listeners. Yeah, so I think we must have some fortunate SEO at work for that Rock of Fire explosion episode. <laughs> Definitely, you got to put Rock of Fire as a keyword associated with this one uh, because it is pertinent. The, the Rock of Fire 50th episode. We can just call everything Rock of Fire going forward. All right, now the moment that we've all been waiting for. The reason any of us are here, well, that's not true. I, I like talking numbers and I like reflecting, but who doesn't love a good award show? I'm here primarily for the reflections, but we, we both bring our strengths to the table. <laughs> In our last spectacular, I briefly brainstormed what we would call our own awards show, Brian. And I suggested the good Z's and you countered the good E's. Do you stand by that? Do you think that's a good name for this award show? The Goodies? I would still go with that over Goodsies. I think that's... Uh, <laughs> Stupid? Unwieldy. I think it's unwieldy. Um, but I'm open to other possibilities. Less open to Goodsies, though. <laughs> but uh, how are you feeling? Not strongly is how I'm feeling. I'm fine with the Goodies. I kind of like the goodies, actually. I'm going to pencil that in. I'm going to let that... You know how you, you you take a sip of nice, expensive whiskey and you let it sit in your mouth for a minute and then, then you swallow it and then you think for a little about what your taste reaction was. Yeah, you got to determine the mouthfeel. That's where I am. I'm, I'm determining the mouthfeel of the goodies right now is our award show name. So Okay, great. And you have six months to think about it, so you got some time. So the award show section is broken into two groups, meta awards. So that's where me and Brian think about things that we've done specifically for our podcast. And then the movie awards. So actually awarding various honors and not so honors to films that we watched. So Brian, I, I detect some hesitancy on your end. How are you feeling right now? I am ready. I did my research this time. I did go through our old material. I was shorthanded last time around. I didn't come prepared for Meta Awards, uh, but I'm ready now. So you like the movie awards more than the Meta Awards? They just came more easily to my mind. I mean, I, I like to think that I'm familiar with the show. I do listen to each episode on the feed, I think, twice. Um, I suspect you might be a little bit more familiar with the material because you edit it. 
And I say that, do it in a lot of video editing myself. Uh, I know I come up with, like, in-jokes that only I understand because you just get a familiarity with things if you watch the footage over and over or listen to the footage over and over. Sure. It's probably true. But I am, I'm ready. I did my preparation this time. <clears throat> so last time, Brian gave his selections first. Um, this time... To keep things fair, I'll give my selections first. So the first meta award is, what is our favorite running gag on the show? So I'll go first. There's a couple of good ones. The The one that came to mind for me is just how we use a Jansen as the metric for how annoying or bad a child actor is. Like, where did they fall on the Jansen scale? Were they a 50% Jansen? Were they, did they somehow surpass a Jansen? You know, so that, that's something that originates in our first 25 episodes, but I feel like maybe every two or three episodes, it comes out that one of us is still thinking about Jansen Panettiere as the, I like it when a, when an actor or something becomes just like a touchstone for us for thinking about other movies. So that's where I'm landing on, Favorite running gag is Jansen Panettiere as our metric for an annoying child actor. Never go full Jansen. <laughs> but also Jansen is just kind of a funny name. It's it's fun to say Jansen. It's good. So what's your favorite running gag, Brian? So what I've come to appreciate is, I don't know if you could call it a gag necessarily, but it's just an emergence of an understanding of what constitutes a stereotypical Dan Pick and what constitutes a stereotypical Brian pick. I think this is a, a, an idea, like a perfect form in philosophy class that's forming in our minds. I.e. a Dan pick, I would say, is a movie that uh, takes place over one night. It's probably going to feature teen or young adult characters having some formative experience, and that's going to be the crux. Uh, what would you say is likely to define a Brian pick? <laughs> it's a good question. I think it will be a little weird and it'll feature some sort of bizarre production design. And probably at least one of the characters will be some sort of social pariah trying to fit in with society. That's my take on a Brian movie. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm thinking, I guess, 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T is the epitome of a Brian movie. Yep, I think you're right. So what about, I see on the list here, we have a favorite funny moment. Something the other person said while hosting or clapping back that made you laugh. This was one of the harder ones for me to pick because you make me laugh. You're much funnier than me. You make me laugh multiple times per episode and so there was a lot of good candidates here and rather than trying to determine what the single funniest thing was that you said i decided to land on something that i think about a lot and i just think was very iconic of you and that was in the paper towns episode you described a feeling where you watch a movie and it's well made and it's pretty good and it's 
probably better than some of the movies that you've given a five, but it doesn't quite earn the descriptor of very good. It's like, uh, it's good. It's well made. Is it very good? I don't know. But you just still slap on it the pity six. I think of the pity six a lot. And I don't know. I like to think that there are worse places to be than earning a pity six in something. But and then like 30 seconds later, you turned it into a pity sex pun, which I appreciated, too. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it worked out well. And uh, it does come to mind for me as well. Uh, as for my favorite funny contribution from Dan, I'm going to go with the time that he just savagely ripped into the Care Bears. He said something along the lines of, to me, these are not bears. <laughs> They're not. It's true. They they don't have characteristics that define things as bear-like, so they're uh, they're just plush automatons, to use another Dan phrase, and uh, that had me laughing. I'm glad. Next moment, favorite line or moment by the other that is insightful as opposed to funny. So my selection, there's a few good ones. My runner-up was I really like something you brought up, and I think about this every now and then, is how do you depict basic human experiences when there is an apocalypse going on? So like people falling in love and thinking about the future and stuff when there's anything apocalyptic happening, basically your argument was the fight for survival would trump anything on what there's like a name of a pyramid, a pyramid of needs. Let me see if I can Oh, Maslow. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like it's it's hard to be sexy in a post-apocalypse setting. Yeah, is is what I feel like. It's just when everybody's dirty, it's like <laughs> it's just hard to get into it. I was thinking specifically of um, I think it was Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt in uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Right. That that was the one where it came up. The one I'm going to focus on here, the one I'm going to give the award to, is I like it when you have a thing that you've thought a lot about that I haven't thought a lot about that you have a big appreciation for. So last time it was, there was a couple things I highlighted, but one was Christmas Carol, but this time around it was the circus and specifically PT Barnum and the influence he had on pop culture. I'd never really thought much about PT Barnum. I knew there was a musical about him, but I didn't really think of him as an important figure. And you sent me a college paper you wrote that was well-written that basically argued that, uh, P.T. Barnum had a pretty strong influence on pop culture, his museums, perhaps as much as his circuses. And then when we talked about the episode about how, I don't know, he was this really interesting figure and defined what we see the modern circus to be and had this notion of humbug that epitomized circuses, but was not well represented in the film. I found that really illuminating. So thank you for sharing your, your feelings on that, Brian. Oh, you're welcome. And Dan consistently brings some pretty insightful analysis to our coverage. One thing I like that he'll do pretty frequently is offer up potential script rewrites. And he'll kind of, you know, take a movie's plot up to point X and then diverge into a better version of the film. I would say they, they always represent some kind of improvement. Uh, I think his most thought-out rewrite was of It Happened One Night, the 1934 film with Cary Grant. Uh, Clark Gable. 
Oh, sorry. I always get the CGs mixed up. Yes, Clark Gable. And, you know, I could watch the movie in my head, especially well, uh, reading that rewrite. But I think his rewrite that would have created the biggest improvement over the existing film was his script doctor notes for Cirque du Freak. And the gist of it was give the Hunger Games kid more time to shine. What was his name? <laughs> Hutcherson? Josh Hutcherson. Josh Hutcherson, yeah. Yeah, give more time on him being the edgy emo, haha, now I'm a vampire villain. Um, less weight on Darren Shan, or uh, just switch the actors entirely, maybe. Give more screen time to the freaks and... These are all things I can get behind that would uh, elevate a movie that scored pretty low in our estimation. Yeah, make it make it more Harry Potter like. Make the freak camp more like Hogwarts, where we we spend more time hanging out there. That was a fun one to think through. I'm glad you liked that one. But one category we decided to scrap was favorite episode note. So I really like reading through our old episode notes, which obviously the listeners cannot see. So we. Decided to just uh, can that one. But I, I can see how this episode is, you know, kind of a, a victory lap for us. An introspection. It's navel-gazing. Us contemplating what we've done and what lies ahead. So uh, certainly no right way or wrong way to do that. Definitely. Well, perhaps. It could be too much. I have a list. It's something like 20 total awards. Maybe too many, but... You know, we're doing it. We may as well do the damn thing if we're going to do the thing, you know? Right. Yeah, I had a teacher once who uh, said, you got to think about, is the juice worth the squeeze? And what that means is, is the work that you're putting in worth the product that you're getting out? And uh, I don't know, something to something to think about when you're making things. I mean, I speak as someone who is often squeezing for <laughs> dubious juices <laughs> squeezing for dubious juices if, if we gave episode titles to spectaculars that would be a good one speaking of episode titles uh you mentioned last time that you wanted to call out an episode title you liked so i decided to add the category favorite episode title for me it's a little bit masturbatory because i actually write the episode titles myself and i'm the one who selects them so I'm choosing a thing of myself that I like, but whatever, that's fine. This is already an episode all about pleasuring ourselves, Ryan. So tell me what it was. Uh, no, I mean, you could call it a circle <laughs> jerk for sure. And Cirque de jerk. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Man, now there's a good title that didn't get used. <laughs> that's the that's the porno parody. <laughs> So I'm going to give best episode title. Uh, it requires some context. We've had a string of episodes related to birthdays. And so the Rockefeller episode was called Sad Birthday Vibe. And that was an episode that we made on my birthday. Then we talked during Time Loop Month about Happy Death Day to You, which is a movie about birthdays. It's a time loop that occurs on the protagonist's birthday, which also happens to be her death day. Uh, that one was dubbed Dead Birthday Vibe. Then 
my winner was the episode created on Dan's birthday, which covered Brad Bird's film, The Iron Giant, and was called Brad Bird Day Vibe. <laughs> so that one does it for me. I'm glad. Even if it requires some explanation. Yeah. Uh, what got the award from you, Dan? Um, so for me, I wanted to highlight one that you had selected because you sometimes pick your own episode titles for episodes that you've hosted. And the one that maybe doesn't roll off the tongue the most, but best captured my feeling towards a movie was my octopus teacher 2020, which you titled manic pixie dream cephalopod, which I very much enjoyed. And I'm glad that we uh, titled the episode that so. That's my pick for this one. But I agree with you. We've had some fun with the episode titles and we somewhat subtly, maybe, I don't know, build and recur structures for titles as time passes. So one was I mentioned that I had Titanic anecdotes in a preview to an episode and you said, oh, Titanic notes. That's the name of the next episode. And then we've had several blank anecdotes or i guess blank anecdotes yes so we've had titanic dotes japanic dotes and darren shanecdotes and i'm definitely a fan of those as well in fact make that my uh <laughs> award winner for running gag all right big meta award this is the one you come for what is our favorite episode we've done 25 episodes since we last recorded What's our favorite episode since then? Well, I've enjoyed a couple. Uh, well, I've enjoyed several. I, I like listening back to some of our, our episodes, but my runner-up is... <laughs> we had some good barbs on the Care Bears movie. That's my runner-up. I thought that was a very fun episode. To uh, More me than you, but uh, really shitting on a, a movie we weren't too fond of. You had some. You had more sentimentality towards it than I did, of course, because I had not seen it as a kid. But I enjoyed that one. But I think the episode that for me just makes me smile. It's it's a little bit over long, and I'm not sure our April Fool's gag actually carried the way that we envisioned it. But I really liked our April Fool's episode where we talked about first the the pipe strip analysis seven twenty seven nineteen seventy eight. And then I got to talk for far too long about Heavy Metal Parking Lot, a stupid 17-minute videotape documentary about some jerk asses standing in a parking lot. So that's my pick. I, I thought we had a fun time with that one. Yeah, and that is one of the episodes I've actually heard positive feedback about. So I think people who have been listening enjoyed it. And I'm going to say that I think our best episode overall might still be Rockafire. I think it's still pulling in the listeners sounds like. But of recent episodes, at number one, I've got our discussion of the Care Bears movie. As you said, good back and forth. Uh, we weren't afraid to let the claws come out. <laughs> we, we don't normally go the route of roasting, but we did a little bit on that one. And that wraps up our meta awards, where we talk about the show which is probably more fun for me or Brian than any of the listeners. But thank you for hanging in with us because now we're getting to the good stuff. Our movie awards. You ready, Brian? 
I'm ready. So, Brian, here we're going to give an award to various movies. And in this case, by movie, I mean anything that we have discussed, rated, added to our canon. Um, So it could be a TV show, movie, YouTube, clip, whatever. So the first question is, what is the biggest surprise? And by surprise, I mean something that defied your expectations. For me, I'm going to go with Tourist Trap. This was a TV movie that you picked, you had me watch. Wonderful world of Disney, obscure TV flick, low budget, that very much charmed me and warmed my heart. And I gave it a four, and it is fonder than a four out of eight in my head. I'm not sure it's actually better than that, but I really... Daniel Stern, Paul Giamatti, lots of stupid gags. And then it ends with just us being proud of how good of dad Daniel Stern is. And man, I was there. I was there for it. I was happy. I want Paul Giamatti to salute me. And tidbit for my birthday, you made me a card of Paul Giamatti saluting me, which I very much appreciated. Very on point gift. So thank you for that. That's my biggest surprise. Well, I've got one of your picks as my biggest surprise. And well, first I want to shout out an honorable mention which was for F for Fake, the kind of experimental Orson Welles documentary from the 70s. It's very artsy. And I went into that one with basically no expectations, and it was kind of kooky and fun. So I like that one. Recommend it. Uh, But my big winner for Biggest Surprise is American Graffiti. This is one where, as it was going along, I realized maybe 15 minutes in that it was going to be an all-in-one-night coming-of-age teen movie, but it won me over. And I ended up liking it a lot more than I thought I might at that 15-minute mark. This is the one that made me kind of see that maybe I was coming around on movies like that. Nice, yeah. A favorite of mine as well. So we'll move to the next award, which is Best Scene. So there is a lot of good scenes And I decided not to go into honorable mentions because I had about 15. Just the one that tugs my heartstring, just pulls it right out, is when the Iron Giant flies up and destroys the nuke. He says, I stay, you go, no following. He flies up and he imagines that he could be a weapon or he could be a hero. And he decides to be a hero. And he says, Superman. And he sacrifices himself, detonating the bomb. And, ugh, just perfection. Phenomenal, climactic, cinematic scene for me. I've got some honorable mentions for this one, too. So, second runner-up is the third-class party scene under the decks in Titanic. Uh, It's creatively edited. There's great music. Can't really beat a tin whistle. (laughs) Then, first runner-up is going to be the opening from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie, where everyone is skydiving and really just reveling in the extreme nature of the 90s. Oh, man. (laughs) But my winner for best scene is New Year's Eve 1979 from Boogie Nights. Mm. Because so many big things come to a head. That's a great one. 
If you were going to go openings, I feel like the Boogie Nights opening trumps the skydiving, but I'm glad to get a shout out. I love I love the skydiving. Yeah, any number of extended takes in Boogie Nights was yeah, in contention here. And a couple of those were on my as I mentioned 15 or so honorable mentions because we had a lot of good ones. All right. Best line or quote this one I had to think about for all of about 0.1 seconds before I knew what the answer was. So I'll, I'll just go. At what point does it transition from a quote to something that expands beyond a quote? Like, could you take all of 727-1978 and make that a single quote? I don't know. When I was 18, 18 years <laughs> old, I saw something. Something that changed me, changed who I am made me who I am. We'll see if that's what Brian picks in a moment, but here's my pick. Heavy metal rules. All that punk shit sucks. It doesn't belong in this world. It belongs on fucking Mars, man. What the hell is punk shit? And Madonna can go to hell as far as I'm concerned. She's a dick. Seriously. And then he hits himself in the mouth with the microphone. Ow! Heavy metal definitely rules. Twisted Sister, Judas Priest, Dokken, Ozzy Scorpions... They all rule. And then he, he points to a nearby stoner girl. Yeah, she's tripping Jack Daniels. It all rules. All that shit rules. That, this punk shit, circle shit, and the dicks and all. That can all go to hell. I don't care, you know? I don't really give a shit about that kind of punk fuck. So there you go. That's my just no-brainer, run away with the award. Didn't even need to count the ballots. Favorite liner quote <laughs> from the past 25 episodes. Zebra Man from Heavy Metal Parking Lot and his glorious rant, which I've watched 55 times in the past six months. <laughs> uh, I'll say I was a little worried because my quote is long too, but it's not the same one. Mine comes from the mouth of Orson Welles and Effer Fake, and he's talking about art that stands the test of time and art that doesn't. He says, Our works in stone, in paint, in print, are spared, some of them, for a few decades or a millennium or two. But everything must finally fall in war or wear away into the ultimate and universal ash. The triumphs, the frauds, the treasures and the fakes. A fact of life, we're going to die. Be of good heart, cry the dead artists out of the living past. Our songs will all be silenced, but what of it? Go on singing. I, I love that. That's great. That was one of my favorite parts of Effort Fake was when he got philosophical about the nature of art. Yeah, a poignant moment at the end of the movie. All right, moving on to best musical moment. I had a neck and neck here for one first place and second place. And I think what I initially wrote down, I'm going to flip flop here. So. There is a lot of really good ones. I mean, we had a couple of musicals. I really loved This is the Greatest Show. Split up in the movie, but if you watch it in the YouTube clip, you can watch it continuously. Really enjoyed. from Because it's the start and the end of Greatest Showman. Of Yeah, Greatest Showman from 2017. I also just so fond of when they sing the Pokemon theme song in Paper Towns. And I talked a little bit about the origin of that in that episode. So... Go listen to that if you haven't. Um, my top two, though. My runner-up, Beach Party. Dick Dale and the Teltone. Deltones? Teltones? I forget what it actually is. 
they're performing at Big Daddy's. Just all these teens dancing around, horniness off the charts, beach rock vibes. Totally digging it. That's my runner-up. Number one, though, the whammy battle. 5,000 fingers of Dr. T. These two dudes doing a hypnosis dance with each other. Just, there's a lot of good musical moments in that movie. I just, I get short of breath when I think of that scene in the movie. Just so good. Masterpiece level. (laughs) So, that's my, my top musical moment is the hypnosis whammy battle. In, in 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. Great. Then we're on a pretty similar wavelength because all of my runner-ups come from Dr. T. Runner-up number two, I've got the whammy battle. Uh, first runner-up is Domido Duds, the song where he's getting dressed by all his attendants. But my top musical moment of these last 25 episodes was the Dungeon Ballet. Just the six-minute extravagant sequence where everyone in that movie is painted green and performing on Seuss instruments. So good. It's, it's phenomenal. Another great pick. It could have been on my list, too, for sure. All right. So now we hit a special portion of our movie ratings where it kind of blends with our meta ratings. Movies that we might rate lower or higher. In fact, we are each compelled to pick one movie we would rate lower, one point lower, and one movie we would rate one point higher on our eight-point goodness scale. So I will go first on the movies I would rate lower. So before I actually pick, I just want to say, I don't know how to rate TV shows in general. It's like, what does it mean to be a seven out of eight or an eight out of eight for something that is a whole bunch of distinct episodes So I don't feel totally won over by my eight out of eight on Gravity Falls. That said, I'm sticking with it. I love that that show. That show is phenomenal. That show is a masterpiece. It's staying an eight out of eight, even if a lot of it depends on the finale really making everything before it seeming even better than it did in the moment. Instead, I'm going to go with a movie that I somehow called good-ish, but I can barely think of good-ish things that I liked about it. I'm bumping from a four out of eight, good-ish, down to a three out of eight, a not-not-good. Now You See Me, the first one. I still think I like the second one more. It's a little bit longer and bloated, but it's got Lizzie Kaplan and it's funny. The first Now You See Me, it scratches the itch for heisty, magical things with twists, but nothing about it is particularly well-made cast is kind of wasted so that's that's one i'm bumping down what about you brian what's a movie you would rate lower all right so this is one i've mulled over for a while and like in our 25th special you know i think we reason out our ratings pretty well and so nothing is likely to change too extremely agreed uh that said i'm bumping down octopus teacher from six to five (laughs) it's it has some shortcomings It's a weird love story of a man and an octopus uh, where obviously the love exists as a feeling on the part of one party and probably not the other. You know, I'm with you on that one. So no begrudgment there. But uh, what might you bump higher? Yes. So the more I think about things, the more I value things, movies that do 
things that no other movies do. And so in that regard, there's a movie that I am more fond of relative to its rating that I just feel like does is unique and brings something to the table that nothing else brings. I gave the 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T a very good rating, but I really think it's something special. I, I'm going to bump that up to an exceptionally good. I, I just think that it brings an imagination, an Asusian, childlike wonder, a production design that is unparalleled. So that's getting my bump up. Seven out of eight, exceptionally good. Excellent. That means it's joining the 15 Club. That was my asterisk, indeed, because and, you uh, gave it an eight out of eight. Just before we recorded, I was watching a little interview with uh, somebody who I guess did the dubbed singing voice of the child actor in 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T looking back. And he had some interesting insight to share that, that really did just enhance my appreciation all the more. One thing he said was that he thought Hans Conried, who played Dr. T, was the funniest in his role, but that Peter Lind Hayes... Uh, the Mr. Zabladowski actor was the person making everybody laugh off camera. Oh, interesting. That he was actually the the funnier person in day-to-day life. And he said, Peter Lind Hayes would routinely crack up Hans Conried, but Hans Conried was not, he did not have the jokes off script. <laughs> They're both phenomenal in that movie. All right, we move on to a downer category. Worst actor or actress. And for me, I don't know if this is actually the worst, but I would like to honor something that maybe isn't necessarily just the garbage heap, but is something that transcends badness and enters my lexicon as a symbol for a certain type of badness. And so last time I picked, what's the name of the turd? Uh, Eric Stoltz. (laughs) (laughs) Only because I felt bad amplifying the hatred towards Jansen, who probably deserved it. But this time I'm picking Tommy. Freaking Tommy, dude. It's just the worst, man. He And for those who are lacking context, this is the White Ranger in the Power Rangers movie. And yeah. what is the actual actor's name? Do you have that ready to go? <laughs> no, nah, he's just Tommy to me. Now let me look him up. Jason David Frank. He might be a nice guy in real life. Who knows? I don't, you know, whatever, dude, you got, hopefully you got paid for what you did. He's the guy who inserted himself in the story and made himself the hero. And he's better than everyone. And he also gets Kimberly as his girlfriend for no obvious reason. <laughs> there you go. Um, so for me, my worst actor was a decision made pretty quickly. I'm going to go with Chris Masoglia as Darren Shan in Cirque de Freak, the vampire's assistant. Mm. This guy was just blah to me. He was a blank slate that never really developed into anything interesting. Maybe something would have come of it if we'd gotten a sequel or two, but it there's just nothing there for me. Right. So then we have two categories for the flip side of that, best actor and best actress. So for best actor, I struggled quite a bit Do I go with most irreplaceable or do I go with most evocative? And I decided to go with most irreplaceable for me, the not necessarily the best actor. Let me, but let me go with my runner up, the most evocative man, John Hurt in that elephant man makeup, just tugging 
every emotion out of me, bringing every amount of humanity to a fundamentally disfigured, off-putting character, physically at least, and just watching a human emerge from that is just so fulfilling. I know it's like a biopic, and I don't like biopics, but for whatever reason, John Hurt made me well up watching him. So he's my runner-up. But the most irreplaceable. You literally, you can't make this movie without this person. That applies to a couple of people, like Orson Welles in F for Fake. But just, you think about the movie is the person. Everything about this person embodies that movie. This is the person. It's Jack Black in School of Rock. Oh. He is the man. And he elevates it. He carries it. And he's a little sweaty a little grimy but man i can't imagine any movie less than i can imagine school of rock without jack black so he's my pick for best actor even if he maybe is not the best actor in the traditional sense but he's my pick now that's interesting because i did not think that was the movie you were gonna say um what'd you think well my second runner up for best actor comes from that same episode uh, another, I think, irreplaceable actor, and without him you wouldn't have the movie, it's Robin Williams in Dead Poets Society. I think his performance pretty crucial there. Uh, certainly something we remember in the wake of Robin Williams not being around anymore. But my first runner-up for Best Actor, I'm going to give it to Zebra Man <laughs> from Heavy Metal Parking Lot, seeing as you put Chris Thrash from the Rocket Fire documentary in the mix last time. He put his name into a conversation. So uh, I think Zebra Man is definitely the, the biggest shining star of what we've called HPL. HMPL, sorry. Humple. Humple, yeah. But the big winner for Best Actor, because he played many different roles that were all key, is Alex Hirsch, the creator of Gravity Falls. Uh, specifically for his triumvirate role as Grunkle Stan, Bill Cipher, and Seuss the Handyman. Excellent. Yeah, all memorable characters, all well-voiced by him. And he's the creative voice. I think it's a solid pick. So, Best Actress. Last time, this was an absolutely loaded category. This time, I had a harder time finding actresses who popped off the screen you know that i'm fond of joan cusack in school of rock but i don't think i'm fond of her to the level that i would give her the award i'm actually gonna go with julianne moore in boogie nights i really feel like she embodied a really unique and memorable character and just took the toxicity of the porn industry and transformed it into an instantly compelling character. She gets my my trophy for best actress. We had some good ones, but I really love Julianne Moore in Boogie Nights. She gets it from me as well. Your description of the strength of her character in that episode really won me over, and I think it is realized well. She did a great job in the movie. Uh, so she's my winner too. Um, shout out to Kristen Schaal for her voice work in Gravity Falls in second place, but... Uh, I was going to ask if she was in the mix. Julianne Moore takes it, though. All right. We've come to the final countdown. So 
we have one worst movie and then five top five best movies. So I'll go first on the worst movie. And I, again, didn't even have to think about it. The one movie that couldn't find too many redeeming things about just enough to get it to a two out of eight. And that's the Care Bears movie, (laughs) the animated movie that wants you to buy things at Kmart or wherever Care Bears were sold in 1980, whatever, 1985. Just really not doing it for me. And I encourage listeners to go seek out that episode if you haven't for its many crimes against cinema. (laughs) If you would go so far. Uh, Well, I I like it. Another good episode title option. Uh, I'm giving it to the uh, previous episode, Cirque du Freak. That's the (laughs) one that uh, I just barely got through. That that got a two from me. Even though it had so many elements that I would think I might like in a movie. I mean, it's it's a circus movie with vampires. What's not to like? Turns out, maybe a lot. (laughs) <laughs> uh but uh second place uh a shout out to now you see me one which was another case where i i was really thinking i might like it and then it was just kind of a letdown i i liked the greater humor that the sequel brought but now on to the positives so indeed what, how have you laid this out so here's how we'll do it we'll go five to one we'll swap and if somebody mentions a movie that is higher on your ranking do not feel compelled to reveal that you can leave the drama. So so I will say, as I reflected, my ranking did not necessarily match what I felt what I ranked in the moment. So there may or may not be surprises to come. Yeah, same for me. It's like at different times I was trying for a greater degree of objectivity. I would say overall I'm trying for more objectivity here in these awards than when I throw a rating on it. Uh, But that's not true across the board. So it's just different. So for number five, I have a movie that I nearly gave our masterpiece rating, but just couldn't in the moment. And I still feel is right on the edge between an exceptionally good movie and a masterpiece. And that is American Graffiti, the George Lucas film. Really love this. Just masterclass, all time great use of music and sound. So well edited into the film just floating around everywhere. Great hanging out for the night, discovering what's really in your soul with all these characters. Really love this as a kind of precursor to the teen movies that would come in later decades. So my number five is American Graffiti. Oh, you know what? I never gave my answer for movie I would rate higher. Oh, sorry. I'm bumping up American Graffiti from six to seven. Ah, there you go. Sorry, I missed you on that. No, I lapsed too. (laughs) Uh, Also, I strongly considered bumping Titanic up to eight. Uh, I'm not there yet. I I love Titanic. It's one of my favorite movies. I still think, objectively, the script holds it back just a little bit. So what's your number five best movie, Brian? So my number five best movie is The Elephant Man. I like the weird... David Lynchiness of it. You've got Anthony Hopkins as a younger man perambulating around a creepy Victorian era circus. You've got the great makeup effects on John Hurt, who gives 
a great performance despite the encumberments that that creates. And I think it's pretty iconic. Yeah, I like that one a lot for sure. Moving on to number four. So I've mentioned I have a really hard time figuring out how does one rate TV shows. And so my number four is Gravity Falls. It's a movie I gave the masterpiece rating. And it's a rating I stand by. I think this is a masterpiece. I think when I was looking at individual episodes in isolation, do I think individual episodes hold up to the masterpiece rating? Some of them. Some of them come close. Others are they're they're good. But the truth of the matter is that it, it all holds together. And that's what I love about Gravity Falls, is it really holds together. It's more than the sum of its parts. It makes me love the characters and the world and makes me buy into it. And I just love this show. It's in the upper echelon of my my own TV show rankings, and I'm excited to revisit it. So number four, not a movie. Tough to rate. Could have fudged it up or down a little bit, but I'm giving Gravity Falls that spot. Cool. Well, at number four, I've got The Iron Giant. This is uh, Brad Bird's traditional animated feature set during the Cold War. It's got a giant robot, obviously. Uh, Lots of homages to 50 sci-fi. And yeah, I love that aesthetic and the setting in the small town in the woods. And, you know, it was a birthday episode that we covered it in. So good vibes all around. Brad birthday vibes. (laughs) So it rates highly for me. Part of the 15 Club. My number three, we're on to number three now. That is a movie that might actually be highest ranked among my all-time favorite movies. If I were to like do a, just subjectively, what is my favorite movies of all time? I feel like this would be higher than number three. But just my experience in the last six months, number three is where it lands. And that is indeed The Iron Giant. Number three for me. Really love this movie. Amazing animated movie. It's a classic. It's got so much going on for it. Really tight script, too. I mean, the animation is great, of course. The character design of the giant is phenomenal. Just really great payoff on things that are set up. And it's just a very satisfying watch. And it holds up. And so that's my number three. Echoing your number four. Brian, what is your number three? Yeah, I've got some top-heavy personal favorite picks coming up. So, uh, number three, I have Boogie Nights, the tale of drama against the backdrop of porno-chic 70s. It's got some great cinematography and directing from a young Paul Thomas Anderson, and, and though it's a longer movie, it doesn't feel its length. I love Boogie Nights for sure. It's a good one. Number two. So I will say my number one and my number two are just so neck and neck. I changed my mind 25 times in the last few days about which one I wanted to elevate to number one and which one didn't quite make number one top of the podium, but got the silver medal. And here's my silver medal. My favorite short film of all time. Just a movie that I will go to the mountaintops and shout about that heavy metal rules, all that punk shit sucks. It's heavy metal parking lot. I love this movie. 
I don't know why I'm so fond of it. I was glad that I got to share it with people. My birthday party where I, I shared it with the crowd forced people, perhaps against their will, to watch some stoners talking about how excited they are to see Judas fucking Priest in concert. And I just get infinite joy from this film. Heavy Metal Parking Lot, almost my number one. Not quite my number one, it's my number two. There you go. Solid. My number two, it's the iceberg on the horizon. It's Titanic for me. T-97, James Cameron's epic. And this is one that from the first night I saw it, it was one of my favorites. Just, I love the scope of it. And I I, I guess that encompasses so much of what makes this movie great. That They just really went all in on realizing this historical project really make you believe that this is the ship here before you and you know tell a story that's compelling and really sucks you in to the point that you know there there could be points that you forget the ship is gonna sink because you actually just care about what the characters are doing but even once it does then it morphs into a cool action movie but you never lose that sense of character and it's good, and I was glad to share it. I'm surprised you gave Titanic a 7 out of 8, and you have at least a few 8 out of 8s. So I'm very excited to see what makes your number 1 and which one didn't crack your top 5. My number 1. Near, far, wherever you are. That's right. Titanic is my number 1. My favorite movie we watched, Brian. This is cinema perfected. It's apex cinema. Why do you go to a movie? You go to a movie to see, you go to the theater. Why do you pay $18 for a goddamn cinema ticket? It's to see Titanic. Titanic is what it's all about, man. You got the, oh, you got the romance. You got Leo, Kate. So good. What was your joke about uh, Leo and Kate reunited, wasn't it? Yeah, I, uh, Kate and Leopold. Yeah, I saw some webcomic about Kate and Leo reunited, and they were talking about uh, Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio, but the the character was hoping it was an announcement of Kate and Leopold too. You got the people freezing to death. Oh, so poetic. Just those people. All they want to do is survive. The hubris of man. How ironic they died after a lifetime of enjoying being alive. <laughs> and of course you get the guy falling down 200 feet and cracking himself on the propeller and just spinning away into oblivion. I ask you, is there a greater hero than Propeller Man? I argue no, unless you want to go Zebra Man, he might be. But anyways, no, I, this was a revelation for me, how much I love Titanic and... I may feel less enthusiastic about it the next time I watch it, but here's one of my plans. I'm only going to watch it every now and then. I'm going to separate my viewings. I'm going to be surprised every time. I'm going to be immersed in the ice-cold waters. The thrill. The romance. This is what movies are all about, Brian. I had to go with it as my number one. I'm turning things over to you. What is your number one best movie? Excellent. Well... One last Titanic thought is one of my favorite moments in the film Love Actually. It's in the subplot with Liam Neeson where he's a single father trying to hold things together, raising his son. And at one point they're, they're struggling with something 
something's like going wrong at school and they're just, you know, feeling ill at ease. And Liam Neeson says, I know what we need. Kate and Leo. And they go and they put on Titanic and they just watch it together, father and son. <laughs> and that's that's the kind of uh, environment I wanted to create when I assign that one. Because I think it is a universal experience. Uh, but what I have at number one is a TV show that I felt was just targeted at me specifically. Who spent my summers growing up sitting in my grandfather's RV reading books about Bigfoot. And this is Gravity Falls. The uh, series that showed two seasons on the Disney Channel between 2012 and 2016, kind of in episode drops, blurbs and blips, uh, but ultimately delivering something that works as a comprehensive whole and is really compelling. So that's my number one, Gravity Falls. Boom. There we go. Okay, Brian, on the spot, top three among all things that we've watched. So that I guess you're top at eight. So ooh, top three overall. This is tricky. I guess I would Gravity Falls, Groundhog Day, Titanic. One, two, three. Probably for me. Nice. What about you? Um, you'd think I'd have an answer given that I asked you the question. That's how these things work. <laughs> I'm going to go Titanic, Heavy Metal Parking Lot, Groundhog Day. My top three. Solid. We like Groundhog Day. I'll bet you like Groundhog Day. Tell us in the comments. <laughs> but this has been fun, Brian. Any parting thoughts on our 50th episode spectacular? I'm looking forward to what lies ahead in the next six months. I've got some ideas. I've got some plans. Up next is Dan's selection of Brick. So that'll be gracing your news feeds next. Yep. And maybe or maybe not a Greatest Hits episode. We'll see. Well, thanks for listening, everybody.